Hi, this is Pastor John. I want to welcome you to CLF. This is the recording from Sunday, May 9th. Well, good morning. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. <laughs> uh, just a few things before we hop into today's message, before we get in. Um, uh, happy Mother's Day to uh, all you moms or um, everybody had a mom. Um, those that uh, invest in and mentor um, the next generation, happy Mother's Day to you. I uh, would like to let you know, so we have now an, an outdoor giving station over here. Um, some of you have asked about that in, in recent weeks, and um, so that's where it is. That's where it will be every week, just so you're aware. I would also like to remind you that next Sunday, immediately following the service, we are going to have our annual general meeting right here outside, um, roughly around 11.15. So um, if you're a member, if you could, uh, if you come to church, register. If, if you could just, if you don't come to church physically, if you could plan to be here, would appreciate that. Um, I promise we'll have you home for lunch, okay? All right. I <laughs> so, um, all right, and uh, I mentioned this last week. I would just like to say it again. If there's um, if there's a topic or a question, I mean, I always have I have ideas and things that I'm uh, wanting to uh, speak on on Sundays. But if there's if there's a topic or a question that you would like to hear a sermon on or a sermon series on, uh, then please get in touch with me. I actually got a couple emails last week, which I really appreciated. And uh, but uh, if if you have something that you just you think you've always wondered about um, and you'd like to hear more about that, uh, please get in touch with me. I, I would love to hear I would love to, to hear your ideas. And that's it for uh, what I just some uh, a few announcements for you this morning. So we have been uh, looking at the story of Ruth, which in four short chapters has love, tragedy, and redemption. And today we're in Ruth chapter 3. But if, uh, if it's your first time uh, joining us in, in this series, here's a few things that, that you need to know about this story. This story of Ruth happened about 3,000 years ago. There are three main characters in the story. Ruth, kind of makes sense, right? Naomi and Boaz. Now, Naomi and Boaz are from the nation of Israel. And this is significant because Ruth is from the nation of Moab. And so throughout history, those two nations were often at war with one another. But this story takes place in a time of peace between the two nations. At the start of the story, there is a significant famine that's happening in the nation of Israel. And um, which, what that led to was Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, they decide to leave Israel with their two sons and they go to Moab to try and find relief from the famine. This wasn't a good decision. And while they're in Moab, Elimelech dies. The two sons marry Moabite women, one of them being Ruth. And this also wasn't a good decision, not because it's a reflection of Ruth's character. Actually, Ruth is um, quite noble and godly uh, throughout the story. But it wasn't a good decision because it went clearly went against God's directions about marrying non-Hebrew people. And so they're there quite a long time, and about 10 years after Elimelech dies, both sons die as well. I, I did say, right, this is a story that has tragedy, um, and it really does. There, it, it is, but it's more than that. It's also a story of redemption. 
So if that if that gets at you, hang in there. The story does get better. Naomi decides to return to Israel after her two sons die. She tells her daughter-in-laws uh, to stay in Moab because they have family there who will help them. But Ruth insists on going with Naomi. And so they return to Israel together. And the way that, that Hebrew culture worked is that if a, if a man died and left a widow, if he had a brother, that man, that brother or close relative, would take his deceased brother's wife as his own so that she could have children and continue the family line. That maybe doesn't make sense to us, but that's how their culture worked. Um, and um, that man was referred to as a family redeemer. So biblically, the idea of redemption is this. It's to rescue someone else. It's to save them, to help them escape death, slavery, poverty. And in the story of Ruth, it's rescuing a family from extinction. It's a beautiful act. And this story is a picture of what Jesus does for us. And what he did for us through his death and resurrection, rescuing us from sin, death, and then ultimately hell. So here we are in Ruth chapter 3, and if you have your Bible, if you want to turn there or click there, you can follow along. Um, I'm not reading, like last week I read through a lot of the verses. I'm not necessarily doing that, but I am going to reference them today. So as we start this, we start chapter 3, it's, it's, uh, been, we've been in the harvest season in Israel. That, that harvest season is ending, um, and Ruth would have worked for several weeks in the field owned by Boaz. So it wasn't just like a day or two. There was, you know, several weeks where they would have seen each other every day, where they would have been getting to know one another. And, uh, uh, and I think that's significant within the story. So in verse 1, chapter 3, Naomi says to Ruth, hey, it's time to find you a permanent home, meaning it's time to find you a husband, okay? And um, uh, because that's, right, how the, how the culture worked. And Naomi tells Ruth, that Boaz would be a good choice. And uh, she's not like a meddling mother-in-law, and, uh, but she, she's sincerely trying to help Ruth and um, recognizing that Boaz is godly and that he would be a good choice and that he was a family redeemer. So Ruth agrees to approach Boaz with the proposal. In verse, verse 3, Naomi tells Ruth to take a bath and <laughs> Uh, I guess maybe hard work out in the field. I, no, it's more than that. But um, she tells to put on some perfume, some nice clothes, go find Boaz. And while he's preparing to go to bed to uncover his feet. Okay, so this might seem quite odd and strange to us. but And it might look like Naomi is kind of plotting, right, with Ruth to hunt down or to trap Boaz. But that is not at all what's going on here. So just like we have certain gestures associated with marriage, right, if you see a woman... And a man like this in front of her, what, what do you assume? He's asking, yeah, he's proposing, right? That's a gesture that we have. It's the same here. The uncovering of the feet is the gesture that signifies that she wants him to marry her. It sounds weird to us, but if they saw men, you know, a man kneeling in front of a woman back in their day, they probably would find it equally as strange. And so um, it might appear peculiar to us, but it is simply how their culture worked. Now, a family redeemer had very specific, specifically defined roles in Israel. And there, it was to safeguard people, property, and the future of a family. And so there's three times in the Bible 
where the role of a family redeemer is described, each one having, each description having a different aspect of the role. And each one also gives us this picture of Jesus, of what he's done to redeem us through his death on the cross. And so we're going to look at those a little more closely this morning. And so uh, Leviticus 25 in Leviticus 25, it describes that a family redeemer is responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery, as well as buying back any land that had been forfeit due to poverty. Okay, so that's one of the roles of a family redeemer. How does that apply to us? Well, it's, that it's a picture of Jesus, and here's how. When humanity, when we rebelled against God, we became slaves to sin. But when we commit our lives to Jesus, when we commit our lives to Christ, we are then set free from sin. Our land is redeemed in the sense that we become citizens of heaven. We're moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Heaven is now our home. This is the picture of Jesus in, the, in a family redeemer. So often, so often we think that sin has power and control over us. But when we commit our lives to Christ, we're set free from sin. But so often we still live and think as though we're slaves to it. And, and if we were to all be really real and honest, each and every one of us understand the struggle, the temptations, the weakness that we have to make sinful choices. We all know it. But one of the things God wants us to know and to believe is that we're no longer slaves to sin. That it doesn't own us, that it doesn't control us any longer. And the reason that he wants us to know it and to believe it is because it leads us towards freedom. But when we believe that sin still has power over us, it it makes it so much easier to give in to it, doesn't it? And so God wants us to embrace what he says is true about us, that we have been set free from sin, that we're no longer slaves to it, but we're now slaves to righteousness, the Bible would describe. So what that means is that, we're, that in our heart and our mind, we're meant to be owned, to, con- to be controlled, to be guided or led by that which is right and godly. God has actually made a way for that for us. This is what it means to redeem us. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us. He has absolutely set us free from the power of sin. In Numbers 35, a family redeemer is described as being responsible as the avenger of blood. That sounds intimidating, doesn't it? But they're described as the avenger of blood. The the idea here is that they're to make sure that the murderer of a family member answers for the crime. That's a serious responsibility, isn't it? So the picture of Jesus in this is that is that is this is that we as humanity we are guilty of sin and we deserve to be found guilty. We deserve to be condemned to have justice brought upon us, but God chose grace instead of vengeance for his creation. That doesn't mean however that the that the crime went unpunished. Jesus took it He took our punishment so that we could find freedom and forgiveness. This is the picture of a family redeemer. 
in Jesus, we're now justified, the Bible says, that we are justified before God. Now, that word, justification, it's a great word. Um, and it's, it's actually a legal term, and it means this. It means to show sufficient evidence to be found not guilty. So this is what Jesus, our Redeemer, has done for us. He's provided sufficient evidence for you and I that before God the Father, we're found not guilty. You ever felt guilt over your sin and your mistakes and your bad choices? We all have. And sometimes guilt is not all bad for us. It, moves, it can move us in the right direction, but it also can make us feel incredibly separated from God and, and other people. And here's the thing that God wants us to know, that in Christ we are not guilty. That in Jesus we're not condemned. And in, in Jesus we're actually no longer punishable. Have you ever had the thought, right, that something bad is happening in your life right now because of the bad past choices you've made? And yes, we do reap what we sow, but sometimes we have the thought that God is somehow still punishing us for past sinful choices. But biblically, if we've been redeemed, we're no longer punishable. See, there's deep meaning and beauty in what Jesus has done for us as our Redeemer. In Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 to 10, it describes a family Redeemer's responsibility to carry on the family name, which is what's happening here in the, in the story of Ruth, right? The picture of Jesus in the midst of that is that God the Father is always, he's always looking to add to his family. We were created to be with him. We weren't created or designed to be in rebellion, to, to be slaves to sin. I understand that that is our reality because of our choice, but it wasn't God's design. It wasn't what he wanted for us. We're created to be with him, with one another as family. The Bible describes that Jesus has actually broken down walls that so often divide humanity. So much so that the Bible describes that race, gender, political affiliation, financial status should never get in the way of us loving one another, of us treating one another as special enough that Jesus gave himself for that other person. It's significant and beautiful what Jesus has done for us as our Redeemer. Now, I've mentioned before in this series, but it's an important theme in this book of Ruth, that God welcomes the outsider. God welcomes those that think that they don't belong. Jesus made a way to redeem all of humanity, and what he wants from you and I um, <laughs> is to know, to know that we belong, to know that we're a part of a family, and to invite in others so that they also can know that they belong. To look past the things that we so often want to uh, judge or accept people on. As I said, race or gender or political affiliation or you know things that, that we don't necessarily want to admit but that often go into our thinking process. And what God wants is for us to see them as somebody who's deeply loved and cared for and invited in to be a part of his family. Now, in the story of Ruth, 
Boaz is the redeemer for the family of Elimelech. Naomi's dead, who is, you know, Elimelech being Naomi's dead husband, father-in-law to Ruth. So that meant that Ruth could appeal to him to safeguard, right, the future of Elimelech's family. So that seems unusual in our culture again, but it's regarded as proper in this time that Ruth could make that appeal. As a foreigner, Ruth wouldn't have known or understood the way that Jewish customs work, but Naomi did, which is why you see Naomi instructing Ruth on what to do and how to do it. And uh, so in this story, the uncovering of Boaz's feet is not a sexual advance by Ruth, but in the culture of the day, it was understood as uh, an act of submission to however Boaz might respond. So Boaz is asleep on the threshing floor, right, which seems like maybe an unusual place to sleep. But again, it's harvest season. He's likely there protecting his crops from thieves. And so during the night when he's asleep, Ruth approaches him, uncovers his feet, or lays down and uncovers his feet. And um, uh, in verse 8, it says that Boaz wakes up around midnight, notices that somebody's there. That would be startling, right? <laughs> You're going to sleep on the threshing floor, like, and yeah. Anyways, I think it would be startling, and it seems to indicate that he's startled. It's dark. He doesn't know who it is. He asks who it is, and Ruth says, it's her. And she says, spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. So Ruth is really being quite bold here, asking Boaz to take her in marriage. And uh, what we see... What we see here in this, in this story that's 3,000 years old is God's heart for those that are poor and desperate and those who have experienced tragic and difficult circumstances in their life. Right, the way that it worked in their culture, if, if Ruth and Naomi didn't, um, you know, if Ruth didn't get married, she would essentially be left to beg. And that wouldn't be... It would, it's generally a pretty tragic life. And so what we see here is God's heart at work, even in the midst of tragedy and difficulty. Because God is always looking to redeem, to bring hope, to give a, a future to us. And yet, here in this story, um, near the end, there is the end of the chapter. There's one potential problem that, that Boaz brings up there is actually a man that is more closely related to Elimelech than he is. So meaning that legally, he also had to be considered if he would want to be Ruth's husband. I understand that that seems quite odd to us, but that's how their culture worked, right? And so Boaz says, just hang out here till the morning, and then I'll talk to him. And uh, we'll see how it goes. And course in the next chapter this will get resolved which we'll look at next week so they wait until morning Boaz sends Ruth home they they do it before the sun's up so that there aren't any rumors really that's that's probably what's going on there and um, uh, and Boaz says I'll take care of it today Naomi or Ruth Ruth goes home to Naomi and she tells her everything that's happened and uh, I imagine I imagine she's feeling a little bit a little anxious, right? She's just asked this man to marry her, and he says, well, I'd like to. He seems to indicate, right? He, 
He's, he Well, no, he doesn't seem to. He does. He indicates, yeah, I want to marry you. Again, they've spent some weeks together. And yet, he says, but there's one more. Have you ever found, you ever, <laughs> and, and Naomi responds and says, let's just be patient. He's a good and godly man, and he'll work it out. And there's something to be said as we wait for God to redeem our lives. Where we wait for him to work all things together for good. Have you ever found yourself feeling impatient with God? Just me, okay. All right. <laughs> right, as we wait for God to redeem. And and I don't know about you, but what is so, again, I'm just going to go back to what is so often built into our thinking is that our bad choices in the past, right? We, we, it's like, well, I'm reaping what I've sown, and so God's, God's making me wait. That, that isn't actually the truth. God is, we wait, and we have to be patient because God is working it together for good. It's not about him inflicting further punishment so that we learn our lesson. Isn't that how we think? And that's how, huma- that's how humanity works. But God is working it all together for us, for good. We need to trust him, even when we can't see the final outcome. And that, trusting him even when we can't see the final outcome, <laughs> that's hard stuff, isn't it? It's deep. Like it, It's not just as simple as, okay, yeah, sure, I can do that. There is a process that happens in our heart and mind that we have to engage in to trust him with our future. The picture of Jesus as a redeemer is meant to help us know and understand that we can trust him, right? That he is looking to rescue us all the time. In every situation that we've been set free from sin, that we've been adopted that we're his, right, that we're no longer on the outside, and that he has plans, good plans for us. We can trust God with our past, with our present, and our future. He's faithful at all times, and he's at work in our everyday situations. He's present in hardship, and he's offering us hope in every situation. We need hope. I would say now more than ever, but we just always need hope. In Christ, God the Father has completely, wholly redeemed us. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're justified before God, and we've been adopted into his family. We are redeemed. We are redeemed. And it is a beautiful thing that God has done for us. So I want to encourage you this week to, to live in the truth of redemption. Let me pray for you this morning, and then the worship team's going to come back, and they're going to lead us in another worship song this morning. Father in heaven, thank you so much. God, thank you that you have redeemed us. Thank you, Jesus, that you have set us free, that we no longer have to be slaves to sin. God, I pray for anyone here, anyone who hears this, watches this, Lord, if they feel trapped, if they feel like they're captive to sin, that Jesus, they would meet you, the Redeemer, right here, right now. That they would experience your freedom. The freedom that you purchased, Jesus, through your death on the cross. 
What a beautiful thing that you have done for us. That your tragedy brings us redemption. Thank you, God. Thank you. Lord, may we live knowing that we're yours, that we're not guilty, that we're not punishable any longer because of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you took what we deserved. God, work it deep into our hearts and minds that we can know you and trust you, our past, our present, and our future. We trust you, God. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Why don't you stand and uh, sing along? Wow.